Thank you, everybody, for coming. We're continuing this evening with our discussion of the Bhagavat Sandarbha of Srila Jiva Goswami. He's wrapping up this portion of his Sandarbhas. And as we discussed, if we really look back upon this Bhagavat Sandarbha, although in the beginning Jiva Goswami said, what's there to say about Brahman? So there's just nothing there. It's the quality. It has no qualities. It has no characteristics. And the as soon as you attribute a characteristic to the Brahman conception, then it's no longer Brahman. We don't need to discuss much about Brahman. But what we found out as we've gone through the Bhagavat Sandarbha is he has given us a very clear picture of what Brahman is and what Brahman is not. When we look at the core verse of this section of the Sandarbhas, Vedanti Tat Tat Bhavidas it bears repeating according to the way you approach the supreme according to the conception you hold according to the ideal that you seek to attain through your spiritual practice according to that you will come to an understanding of the absolute truth. So we're in the 93rd Anucheta, and it's a long Anucheta, and Srila Jiva Goswami in the beginning, he he's already used, as we've discussed, and it bears repeating, the Srimad Bhagavatam is his primary evidence. In spiritual circles, when you make a when you when you come forth forward with some ideal, you need to support that by scripture. That's that's how they play in the big leagues of spiritual life. There's no new age, everybody's equal, your God is as good as my God, and I can conceive of God in any way I see fit, and it's okay, and you're okay, and I'm okay, and your practice and my practices are the equal practices, you just have a different way of doing it, and me, I like to do it with a bomb, but it's okay, because it's cool, and we're cool, and you know, I have my own spirituality, but I don't like religion, and on and on we could go. But that's not really the way that spiritual life is approached in learned circles. They actually have a foundation upon which they base their sadhana and upon which they base their sadhya, their ideal. And there's a correlation between the two. Like our ideal is to attain Krishna's lotus feet and to associate with him and and serve him directly. And our sadhana is we want to serve Krishna's lotus feet and <laughs> we, <laughs> we want to serve him directly and we chant his holy name and he 
we worship his deity and we we read his scriptures and we read about his leela and when it really comes down to it there's not much difference between the sadhana and the sadhya for the krishna bhakta in fact the krishna bhakta is not engaged in bhakta for anything except bhakti that's that's all he wants or she wants i just want to be krishna's devotee and i'm content with that and i'm content with whatever station he wants to place me in in the diff in the beginning there might be some difficulty in where he places us and what he wants of us or where he puts us in order for us to to work through um, work through this stage of purification um, but that stage of of sadhana bhakti it's a preliminary stage it has stages within it stages of of developing some faith in spiritual life and having the good fortune of of uh, of coming in contact with the devotees and uh, finding a spiritual master and engaging in bhajana kriya and clearing the heart of so many misgivings misconceptions regarding bhakti and uh, and impressions of what can actually give us pleasure because when it all boils down every one of us is looking for a pleasurable life we just don't know where to find it we're looking in all the wrong places <laughs> based on our you know our prior impressions and so the sadhu comes and he says you just need to turn you just need to turn there's nothing wrong with what you're doing you are satchit and ananda you exist eternally you have cognizance you have you know you have some knowledge and it's okay to want to be in a pleasurable condition because you're part of the supreme lord and he's he's an ocean of bliss <laughs> so he's always having fun but he's having fun making his devotees have fun and his devotees are having fun making him enjoy himself so it's uh, that's love it's a reciprocation i want you to be happy and you want me to be happy and that's really what love's all about unfortunately in the material world loving means i'm living at your expense i'm loving myself and you're paying for it <laughs> you're paying either with your form i i i have to sustain anamoya i have to i have to i have to begin by sustaining my body so if you're the body that sustains my body then my body takes precedent and I'll eat you none of us live free of that karmic debt 
Even the vegetarian is killing. Even the vegan is killing. Everybody's killing to survive. How can we how can we look at material life and see any loving there if we look deeply at it? Eh, we can find a little inkling here and there. Maybe the love of a mother for their child up to the age of whatever that age may be. <laughs> Maybe not even to any age. The loving doesn't even ever begin. Even a mother for her child. I don't want it. Unfortunate situation. But that's that's the distinction between material and So there's nothing wrong with wanting to be wanting to enjoy. Enjoyment's part of our nature. There's really a lot wrong with wanting to enjoy at the expense of others. And in this material realm, there's no enjoyment to be had except at the expense of others. Now, luckily for us, a lot of the expense account is paid for by the Supreme himself. He's arranged the material energy. He's, he pro provides us with sunlight. He provides us with the energy, life, prana, so we can breathe. So every breath we take is actually coming at his expense. He's providing that. He's providing the sunlight and the moonlight. He's giving the juice to all the vegetables which are nourishing us. Uh, And he has a perfectly arranged system in that regard. And there is a perfect handbook for that. And that he's given us in the form of scripture, the Veda. Of course, we, we being somewhat interested in spiritual life and transcendence, have scoured this world of man to look for the best scriptures. And we're all sitting here because we have, cannot find anything that's more satisfying to the self than the, what the knowledge is contained in the Vedas. We've looked around, or at least we've heard from those that have done some serious seeking. And we've come to this conclusion that you're, we can't just make it up as we go along. We need good guidance. We need a handbook. And the best handbook that's available to us is Vedic knowledge. So with the, we're at this place in the Bhagavat Sandarbha where... Jiva is trying to pull in the other transcendentalists with his conclusions. So up to this point in the Bhagavat Sandarbha, primarily he's been using the Srimad Bhagavatam as his praman, his evidence. I'm going to say something 
And if what I say is significance, I need to be able to support it with Shastra. So he's done that. And not only has he used Srimad Bhagavatam, he used the interpretation or the explanation is a better way to put it, the explanation of the verses of Srimad Bhagavatam that he's used to convince us of the points of spiritual philosophy that he's tried to make, he's used the commentary of Sridhar Swami, the most recognized commentator up to this point in time, on Srimad Bhagavatam. Lord Chaitanya liked his commentary, so that was good enough for Jiva, and that's good enough, you know. But it was a profound commentary. There's a reason. And and, and Sridhar Swami was also um, he was also catering to the Advaitins, the people that conceive of the absolute truth as being Brahman in its most complete understanding. Now, he's wrapping up the Bhagavats and Dharmani says, okay, maybe there's a few in the audience here that have a hard time buying into the Srimad Bhagavatam, Sridhar Swami approach that I've taken up to this point. Okay. The Advaitins, the other transcendentalists, they generally accept as their primary evidence, not the Srimad Bhagavatam, but as three aspects of Vedic knowledge. The Upanishads, the Vedanta Sutra, which is mature commentary, kind of brings all the Upanishads together in, in a form where people can understand what's being said a little better than having to figure out the aphorisms themselves. Like how long would it take us without good guidance and a good purport to understand Tatwamasi? You are that. Okay then. I'm that. I'm that what? What that am I? <laughs> so the Pristana Trai this three branched branches of, of Vedic knowledge. The Upanishads themselves, Shruti, the Vedanta Sutra, and the Bhagavad Gita. So there's a large class of transcendentalists. Uh, you know, our exposure here in the Western world isn't isn't that great, but you go to India and you go to South India and you go to these other sampradayas and you'll find these are the books that they're using in their classes. These are how they're supporting their philosophical doctrine. And, and if you want to talk in those learned circles, you don't come and you say, Oh, you have your God, I have my God, my God's as good as your God. And they'll say, oh, really? Well, let's discuss that a little bit. And unless you can support what you're saying with scriptural reference, they're going to say, okay, uh, you, what you're saying is just gibberish. 
So a new ager is going to have a hard time in those circles, uh, you know, uh, getting any uh, support for their position. Your God, my God, our God, your way, my way, the way, it's all the same way. Uh, it, it doesn't fly there. Even the Gaudiya Vaishnavs, they had their their own time right after the advent of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, they were introducing Gaudiya Vaishnavism and this, uh, this rather radical approach of a chinta beta beta tattva. And they were basing their whole new religion on the acceptance of Srimad Bhagavatam as the uh, primary praman and because this they didn't have they weren't they didn't have a mature commentary on the Vedanta Sutra that was explaining their this new new and improved spiritual idea of Achinta Beta Beta Tattva. So the other transcendentalists, they went and said, well, where's your commentary on the Vedanta Sutra? If you're going to put forward this doctrine, we'll support it. Otherwise, don't, ex don't expect us to, res to respect your religion or respect your practice. You can't, you can't look to us to do that unless you have a commentary on the Vedanta Sutra. And uh, Baladev Vijayabhushan was <clears throat> requested by the Vaishnavs, could you please give a commentary? I'm not qualified to give a commentary. I wouldn't know where to begin. Well, it's okay. I'm sure it'll come to you. <laughs> and the devotees, having the dev blessing of the devotees is, is uh, very, very important. In any spiritual endeavor, without that, what success can you have? So they requested it of him, and therefore it came. He got the inspiration. And the story goes that uh, the Govinda deity personally dictated to him. Well, you write, I'll dictate. Write down what I say. This will be a good commentary. This will be a an acceptable commentary on Vedanta Sutra. He'd already done a commentary earlier, as we discussed a few classes ago. Uh, so he actually did two commentaries on the Vedanta Sutra. So now we're here at this stage, and Jiva Goswami is, is presenting the same arguments, but he's using instead of the Bhagavatam, uh, the Prasthana Trayi, the Vedas, the Vedanta Sutra, and the Bhagavad Gita as evidence for the same points regarding the nature of the Absolute and the fact that in the ultimate revelation and realization that absolute truth is the personal conception, Bhagavan, 
holds more more significance than the other conceptions in the Vedanta Tattva verse. So in the first part of this Anucheta, he used the Upanishads, the Bhagavad Gita, and the Vedanta. And now in the second half, he's reconciling those and saying, and by the way, these exact statements that were made are in the Bhagavatam. And to substantiate the first one, he goes to the tenth canto, the prayers of the personified Vedas. Now the prayers of the personified Vedas are in themselves a mature commentary on the Vedanta. All the major points are covered there. So the second half begins with that this verse from the 87th chapter of the 10th canto. Only those who are obedient to you are actually alive. Otherwise, their breathing is like that of a bellows. By your grace alone, the elements such as Mahat and Ahankar have created this egg-shaped body as the ultimate form of the Purusha encompassing all sub-levels of being. You have entered here in these five sheaths, or in other words, in the five substratums of being, beginning with Anamoya. You are beyond both Sat and Unsat and are, consequently, the remainder of all five substratums and the reality that supports them all. Same thing as he'd said in the first part of the Anucheta from the Tattariya Upanishad, where those supports are referred to as the tail, being the tail of the bird. Without the tail, the bird certainly cannot fly, and the tail being an analogy for, for a part of the body, and just like the support for a human body being the lower half of the body. So we went through a lot of this uh, last class. And I'm going to start here. Understand that we're not even to the commentary part here. This is all Jiva, coming all directly from Jiva Goswami's Anucheda, translated into English, of course. Since it has been shown that Gyan is an incomplete means, realization of the Absolute achieved by it is also incomplete. Makes sense. Gyan, knowledge alone, is not a complete way of knowing the Absolute Truth. We can only go so far. At a certain point, Revelation's going to have to kick in here. Now, we can be encouraged in good association, and we can, they, the, the guru, the sadhu, the scripture can teach us so much, but if we don't support what we're being taught, 
by practice, there's not really a, a change coming about. Of course, one of the practices is hearing itself. And any one of the nine practices of pure devotional service will purify us in due course of time. But as I said in our last discussion, a well-rounded meal is probably your best source of, of nourishment. So we the guru generally encourages everyone, shravanam, kirtanam, vishnu, smaranam, padasevanam, archanam, vandanam, dasyam, sakyam, atmanivedanam. All these processes, a little bit of all of them will do us well. Of course, one of them, they're all, the sarup shakti, any one of them is powerful enough to, to fully purify us. <clears throat> So here, what Jeeva is saying is, since Gyan, in and of itself, just having knowledge of what is matter and what is spirit, that in and of itself is not a complete understanding. It may give us a complete understanding, excuse me for the misstatement, it may give us a complete understanding of what is matter and what is spirit, but it's not going to give us a complete revelation, realization of the nature of our being. It'll give us some. It'll give us up to Brahman, is the point Jiva's making. If you want com more complete, then you need to go beyond. So therefore... Srinivyasadeva is crying out to his son, wait, don't leave ha home yet. I have more to teach you. And the son's saying, I'm self-realized. I know it all. I have knowledge of myself. I have knowledge of my being. I don't need any more. Srinivyasadeva no, no, there's more. You need to hear more. Don't run away yet. So, Jiva goes on in the Anucheta, because one-dimensional Gyan apprehends the Absolute only in a generic way, as something beyond Prakriti without any specific form or qualities, that's like in brackets beside generically, generic way, it is unable to capture the inner and outer distinctions within it. It is therefore, I'm sorry, it therefore remains only on the periphery as such. Though the devotee transcendentalists experience the wonderful variegatedness within the self-luminous supreme truth, Yon captures only its light in a general way. Jiva goes on, and this is a very important statement, this next part of his Anucheta. And so Brahman is understood metaphorically as Bhagavan's effulgence. 
It is, moreover, also called the rarefied form, the portion, or the opulence of Bhagavan. It's referred to in so many ways. I mean, really, if we, we've looked at so many ways that Brahman is, is re, you know, is made reference to. What's that one you said, rarefied form? Yeah. yeah. Also called the rarefied form, the portion, or the opulence of Bhagavan. Jiva Goswami goes on. Therefore, it is appropriate that Bhagavan, who is the undivided, absolute reality, is the shelter of Brahman, which is the glow of the Lord's form. Since Brahman is identical, I'm sorry, identified as but a generic manifestation of the same absolute. Therefore, the Shruti also recognizes Narayan as the Atma, even of Brahman, referred to in the phrase Aksara. Jiva quotes a verse from the Subal Upanishad. He whose body is the earth, whose body is the self, whose body is the unmanifest, and whose body is the imperishable Aksara, Brahman, is the supreme eminent self dwelling within all beings, free from all sins, the one divine Narayan. So, Jiva is now starting to work towards the Paramatma Sandarbha. And this, I mean, really, it's it'll be quite interesting to see how Jiva Goswami lets us as students see the proper way of understanding the Paramatma feature of the Supreme. He's given us a clear understanding of what the Brahman feature isn't. But in doing so, he's let it know, let us know what it is. And now he's coming up to the concluding portion where he's, he's bringing all the points home. He's wrapping up the package, so to speak, and saying, okay, and hopefully we've been attentive students and we can say, yes, I now know what Brahman is not. And it's not the topmost conception of the supreme absolute truth. It's definitely not that. And anybody that thinks that it is should meet a bhakta. And maybe he's been sent here so I can teach him about Krishna. (laughs) Or at least introduce him to my guru if I feel incompetent. But, you know, we need to to save people from this impersonalist conception of the supreme absolute truth. Nirvasesha sunyavadi pachacha desatarane. As I said when we started these classes, I think even within the Vaishnav community, the contemporary Vaishnav community in the Western world, they do not know how to distinguish between a Mayavadi and a Brahmavadi. There are a class of transcendentalists that are due respect. They are true Brahmavadis. Brahman is an aspect of, of Krishna, and they need we should give them the credit that they're due. It's incomplete, 
but they've passed the majority of the tests. They've given up material nature. We do not have any any argument with their understanding of the supreme absolute truth. It's contained within the Veda, but it's just not the complete picture. And we can see from our from what what the Bhagavatam has given us that again and again these these Brahmavadis have been easily converted for the most part. Sukadev Goswami, he just heard a few lines from the Bhagavatam and he was like, what, what, what's this? I need to know more about this. And then he went back to his father and said, please, I'm going to come back home now. There's nothing wrong here. If you can teach me the rest, and oh yes, I'll teach you. And he did. He taught them the and then Sukadev Goswami, a, a, a Jivan Mukta liberated soul, at the young age of 16, even his father who taught him the Bhagavatam wanted to hear his realization of what he taught him. So in the audience, here sits Narada and Vyasadeva and, you know, these great sages listening to Sukadeva Goswami's explanation. The Kamaras. The Kamaras. They came, when they had the audience of Vishnu at the gates, all of a sudden their their whole their hearts melted. They experienced bhava, and they began they began to to cultivate the seeds of prem just from that experience. They were great Brahmavadis. They're considered incarnations of Krishna himself. They're the older te- oldest teachers in the universe of transcendentalism. So, uh, we can see that we have no arguments. But the Mayavadis, there's an argument there. Why? Because all transcendentalists who 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 have any true standing in spiritual circles, true spiritual circles, they do not give some interpretation to what's in the Veda. And Sankaracharya, Sankaracharya built a whole sampradaya on misconceptions. So, do we have problems with people that think that ultimately Brahman is, is you know, that the Supreme is, is can be adulterated by Maya? We have nothing to do with these misconceptions regarding, regarding Vedic knowledge. We won't have anything to do with it. Everything that Prabhupada said, stepping on their head, whatever, <laughs> we're there. We'll run away if we cannot defeat them. We'd rather live in a cage with a with a 
tiger. And then here, there are misconceptions regarding the Veda. While teaching the Sankhya philosophy in the Srimad Bhagavatam, this is in the 11th canto where Krishna is teaching Uddhava, Sri Krishna states that during the final dissolution, only Brahman remains. But after this, using the word hmm, Paravardhisa, he says that he is a witness of Brahman even at that time. This is the verse that Krishna says to Uddhava. Thus, I, the perfect seer of everything material, avara and spiritual, para, have spoken this knowledge of Sankhya, which destroys the illusion of doubt by a discriminative analysis of involution, how spirit successively involves in or as the elements of creation, and evolution, how spirit successfully withdraws from those elements. Seems like the words should be reversed, but if you actually think about the word usage here. Can you read the involution part again? Sure. How spirit successfully involves in and as the elements of creation. In other words, if we look to how the Srimad Bhagavatam explains the evolution of the universal elements according to the Sankhya philosophy as, as taught by Lord Kapila to his mother. It's, you know, it's a gradual involution. Energy is put from one element into the next element, into the next element, depending on the prior element or elements. So it's a involvement of the energy of the Supreme in his external energy to bring about the creation. So that's how, that's the use of the word here. So it's a involution. And, an, and the evolution, how spirit successfully withdraws itself from the elements. Jiva Goswami continues. Just a little bit more here. Stick, me, stick with me. Let us here consider the following. Sankhya means knowledge. The Sankhya scriptures explain only the swarup of the absolute that remains at the time of dissolution. Only what's Sankhya involved with, basically. The material elements and how they come together and, and create everything that we experience. Earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, false ego, from subtle to gross. Without examining the attributes inherent in its own nature. In other words, the Sankhya philosophy deals primarily with simply 
what happened to bring about the material creation. What was the actual big bang? And, you know, it's a theory. Who are we to, okay, you can have that theory. We understand that one element makes the next element the next element. Maybe it happened quickly. Maybe it happened slowly. Uh, you know, it's a little difficult for us to understand how you can apply the Big Bang Theory at the beginning. And then you go to this evolution thing that takes millions and millions of years for the individual living entities. But whatever, you're, a, you're certainly welcome to your opinion in that regard. Uh, we like the personal opinion uh, of the scriptures that there was an, that there's people involved all the way because we haven't found anything here of any importance that just came about. I'm living in this house. Somebody hammered the nails and put on the sheetrock and painted it and you know built a foundation and then I had to go out and battle it with an in inspector to get it approved. <laughs> so so we could move into it. <laughs> that's that's just, there's a lot of people involved, and you're telling me all this just kind of just one day <laughs> you woke up and it was here. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's an interesting theory you have there. <laughs> it is proper to say that after the cosmos is dissolved, Brahman remains as the furthest boundary of the at the furthest boundary of the material sphere just like Vaikuntha without any manifest qualities of the Lord's Swarup there's still quite a bit more to this particular Anucheta uh, so I don't want to go over time wise we'll stop there Indeed, Brahman is Bhagavan's own feature. And that's that's where Jiva's going now. He's working towards this. Understand what really is Brahman. It's just one of the opulent... We can look at it as, as emanating from the Supreme, but it's not really emanating because when we think of emanating, we think it was here and then... It comes out and then it's separated. No. What's the effulgence? Well, that's probably a better way to look at Brahman. It's the effulgence of the Supreme. And it's always with him. But it's not It's not the most complete. It's a metaphor. It is a metaphor. That is fact. According to Jiva Goswami. So I'll stop there. Are there any questions? Hmm? Thank God for <laughs> yes. I, I was just thinking when you were speaking that it's kind of, or it might kind of be like um, an abridged book and then the, the real, like the whole novel and an abridged version of it. You know, like some people, it's not a complete version, but when they, they know the, the abridged version, and then when they hear something that, you know, they recognize from the full volume, then it like they're they're super interested in it, and it right. makes them want to know the. That's why Shridhar right. That's why the Shridhar Swami comments 
on the on the Srimad Bhagavatam that are directed at the Advaitins, you know, that support their that angle of vision that they have. Jiva Goswami said, I'm not going to use them in my in the Sandarbhas. But that doesn't mean they don't have value in in capturing that class of transcendentalists and bringing them into the fold of of Bhagavanism. <laughs> Anything else? Thank you so much for your association. <laughs>